Hey everyone, welcome to Be The Change. My name is Lily Mott, and today I'm going to be talking about how change comes when you aren't working for an award. My guest this week has a really interesting and unique story that I'm excited to share with you. Originally from Kenya, but living in Rwanda, Rainy Cindy is a multidimensional storyteller and Girl Rising Fellow, focusing on sharing stories about agriculture and conservation. So with that little introduction, let's get started with this episode featuring Rainy Sydney. So um, a little bit background for myself, by name Rainy Sydney, um, originally from Kenya, that's my home country, but at the moment I'm staying in Rwanda, Kigali, Rwanda, which is just a neighboring country. I recently graduated from the African Leadership University, which is also a new university close by here, and the uh, um, department of the school called ALU School of Wildlife Conservation. Um, that's now part from, should I say, educational part of it. And then outside that, I normally find it hard to place myself within one specific box. Cause um, at the moment I'm working as a learning coach again in my previous school. But apart from that, I consider myself a multidimensional storyteller. I'm trying all the best to um, just put things in order. I help others also put things in order and tell stories that are quite thoughtful, considering that we live in a space where um, stories make a lot of impact, but people say stories that just drive their own perspective and their own narratives. So I try my best to unearth stories that are told in the wrong way, um, especially considering that I'm from a background of people involved in agriculture and conservation, and you know how those two um, fields are always in conflict in Eastern Africa. So I'm always in between their livelihoods, conservation, agriculture. I'm also a gardener. I have a small farm where I grow some vegetables and keep some bit of animals. So, yeah, if I can continue, I'll do that a lot. But yeah, um, that's me. Just somebody who tries to do a lot of stuff. That's a great start, and I'm really excited to talk with you and learn more about your storytelling and all of the work that you're doing. So can you tell me more about your background and your path to get to this point where you're doing this work now? Sure. Um, so I think I was seven years old, 2008, 2007 there. I was still a kid when we had the post election violence in Kenya. And um, we got displaced and we moved to a different space from where I'm from. And so um, it was more for village space. And I got here to say all this bad around um, the nice foods from the farms that were just nearby, where you just go to the farm, get food and bring it to the house, very healthy food. And then um, later somewhere in high school, I got um, involved in a lot of environmental activities that were arranged by my schoolmates. And somehow, I came to realize that most of the, the people are thanked a lot. The people get opportunities from um, in the name that they're climate activists, climate environmentalists, or whatever, all those names that people come in to just fit their narrative in between. 
realize most of the people who are getting that are just loud stressors and they rarely do the work that we think is good for the environment. In real sense, most of this good work is done by random people in nondescript spaces. Um, women in the villages were just living their normal life, but by doing that, they're living more sustainably than all these people attend big conferences. So why not try to actually be involved in this in that real sense compared to what all these other people are doing? And then that's why I chose to study at that school. And also I'm still pursuing the same storytelling perspective at the moment. Um, also one of the 2022 Future Rising Fellows at Girl Rising, where I'm trying to come up with a story um, show a day in a life of a rural woman who is, I'll say, um, a real hero in conservation, but they're not given that um, recognition because for them it's a way of life, it's not a PR strategy like most of the people within my age group and um, should I say life space, yeah. That's so interesting. So along the lines of storytelling and these people who are conservationists in their daily lives, can you tell me some about the challenges that people are facing in those rural communities that you talked about? I'd love to know more about how they're living their lives to make them conservation heroes as well, as you mentioned. So I spend most of my time just interacting with local people, looking at how they live their lives. And also um, from my school and environment, I've seen all this amazing group of young people always show up at COP conferences. We see them um, showing up at some UN planned um, conference talking about climate and everything else. And in most cases, you know, they say that um, it's just a lot of talk, if I can call it um, quite a lot of bullshit talk that is never actualized. And then you realize that um, the people living in the local areas in rural spaces down there who've always been planting crops for as a source of their livelihoods, keeping animals source of livelihoods. They are not that much involved in activities that we can call dangerous to environment, but they're getting the biggest hit of climate change. Most of the time you find that, especially right now, they will struggle to plant their crops and they'll get very little because yeah, the rain patterns have been messed up. The heat um, is quite different from what they experienced back then in the years. And they haven't done anything wrong, I can say so. Their carbon footprint is very minimal. They're like the ideal environmentalists. They're the ideal people live of the people who call themselves as people who have, like, have sustainable lifestyles. But um, some of them now have all this death and like a lot of diseases that are coming up, they are suffering, they're not getting the normal life that they were used to, that was healthy with access to good food, with access to um, clean water. And they're not the people who have caused that problem. The ones who have caused these problems are the ones who are maybe in urban areas um, involved in other so-called big decision-making activities for the sake of climate resilience. But in real sense, they're just there to show that they care, they don't. So 
the people are suffering and the people around there. And we don't give much time about them. Because right now, if I tell anyone to name people at the forefront of conservation, environmental protection, and any other thing related to climate, most likely I'll hear some big celebrity name, some random political leader, or some people have just shown up at campaigns and then, or demonstrations, and then gone home to their normal life. Yes, they have some impact, but it's very little. So also I feel like we are putting effort at the wrong place. We should be focusing on the other group who are getting the biggest hit of this problem. That's really interesting. And that does make so much sense to share the stories of these people who are being impacted by these issues. So you also discussed this form of activism that I would say is like performative activism. And I know that can be really frustrating as an activist, especially within the climate movement. Do you have any advice for people who may be they they may feel like they're doing that type of performative activism. Yeah, sure. Um, first, I'd like to say that I'm not calling them out to be uh, not impactful at all. It's just that we are giving them more convenience and uh, more recognition than what they're doing. They're doing some little bit of good work, but um, it's good for them to actually understand that they're not the key players in this fight against climate change. They're not the key players. They're just um, some small pieces in between down there. And it makes it um, worse when the people are supposed to either finance the progress, the people are supposed to fully come in resources that can make a change, somehow end up working with them. And for them, they're after personal gains. I remember talking to one of my friends and I was telling them that um, apart from the scholarships that people get, apart from attending all these conferences, apart from um, the recognition that you're getting on social media and your professional work, um, maybe um, educational recognition, do you really care about the environment? And most of them actually don't. They have the personal gains. So it's better for them to actually understand and um, make it clear that either they have personal development or they're after working for the community and um, the good that will, that works towards the majority of the people are not being listened to. And also um, I hate it when most of them say that um, voice of the voiceless, speaking for those who don't have, especially that term voice of the voiceless, no, these people have their own voices. It's just that we've suppressed their voices or we are not giving the ideal group, the platform for them to add their voices. If you go to some rural village, maybe let me say in Congo, Burundi, Ghana, and talk to some woman who is a farmer down there, they'll tell you the truth that they're suffering and they'll say everything that people need to hear. But has anyone gone there to check on their views? No. So um, all these people on the performative side of the activism. They should not be just there for credits. They should tell us what they are really after. And also mind that the other key players who should be recognized for their work. That's interesting. And thank you for explaining that because I think you're so right that people should focus on listening and talking to the real people that these issues affect rather than being their voice, like you said, because they have their own voices. 
I'm so glad that you shared that because I think it's just a really important point. So I would also love to know, of course, you're focusing on environmentalism and the climate crisis with your work, but what are some of the other issues that are impacting people in the countries that you've lived in so far? So um, for the young people, the problems that they're facing mostly at the moment is that sense of insecurity. You don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. You don't know what's your next plan. You're just living at the moment. And it also becomes worse when you know that you don't have the capacity to make a big change. So you just end up giving up or not doing anything because the little effort that you'll be placing in at times might not be that much helpful. That sense of hopelessness that is forced onto us makes things worse. And it's also very important to note that um, if we start talking about the people who have caused the most damage right now, most of them won't be under the age of 30. No, most of them are actually the older generation. And they're the ones who are controlling the systems that can easily make a change because it's very possible. It's something that if they become sane one day, yeah, that might sound bad, but yeah, if they just become sane and somehow accept to be more considerate, then they can make that change. But they're not. So the other group just lives in a state of hopelessness, trying their best. Of course, even without that hope, not them not knowing what's happening the next day, they're still working. They're still struggling. They're trying to make a change, but that's the best that they can do. That's uh, like, apart from all the financial problems that come in, and maybe health problems that come in, I find the worst part to be that sense of hopelessness and it's scary. And um, I just hope that there'll be a time that the people are calling the shots, the people have the resources, the people controlling the systems might come to their senses again and involve all these other people's future being done. Because um, there's this Swahili proverb that if I translate it to English, there's no without people are blamed. And when I use that at sometimes it feels like um, insinuating something about the violence. But again, if we look down in history, most of the times we've not had our voices being listened to or voices where people are being oppressed, being listened to, unless they stand up and actually fight. And that's not something that we should be thinking about in the 21st century right now. But every day, I feel like we are pushed to that age. We are pushed to that age where we feel like we can just wake up one day and do something fathomable. I sometimes don't like talking about it, but that's where we've been pushed to. At the moment, with, for example, if I use the story that I'm working on at Girls Rising for the Future Rising Fellowship, I'm trying to share a story of a rural woman in her 70s, how she's managed to bear down her indigenous knowledge of food crop cultivation to her daughter and the granddaughter, and how the production has reduced from when she was a teenager, now that she's um, close to her eighth decade, and how her whole life can be described as a sustainable lifestyle ideal, the ideal one, like they have just had the best, but then 
nobody, nobody will ever consider such a person as a hero. Nobody will consider such a person as a somebody who works toward, toward um, environmental protection because it's just their way of life. But um, right now, if I stand there in the street with a big placard saying, protect our environment, people take pictures, share on social media, or oh, tomorrow I'll apply for some scholarship award, some funding award, and then there it will come. I'll be living my sweet life without the resources, but in real sense, I haven't done anything. I've just shared some little knowledge, which is not bad. And I just feel like some of us who do most of this performative activism should not be, we should not be doing it in such a way that we are looking for rewards. It's like the right thing to do. So you should not be rewarded to just being human because that's the status quo. We should be rewarding people actually adapting their lives to the bad things that we've caused right now. So that's what I think from my side. That's such an interesting idea. And not working toward an award and actually living your life and doing your work because you want to do it and you feel passionate about it. That's so important. Do you have any advice for people who may be listening who want to get started with making change, but they may not know how or where to start? I think before someone just joins any course, they need to look if they'll actually make a good impact in that course because there's no need of um, getting into something that you don't believe in. Because you find there are times that you might be working as a group towards something and then there's one person who is slowing you down or pulling you down or, should I say, acting as a betrayer. So before joining anything, you'd rather put it clear within yourself that you want to be part of it. And again, um, most of us join these specific groups that are working towards a specific goal after seeing a specific story being shown can either be um, a social media post, you have somebody's speech. Like there's always a form of story that normally directs us towards something. The ideal thing is for you to audit to that story because um, I've lived in a space where our stories are told differently by different people in a way that they want other people to understand it, not as it is, but how they portray it. It's just the same way you might just be down. Um, in most cases, when people talk about Africa, yeah, what comes to their head is poverty, what comes to their head is diseases, wilderness, access to basic needs, which is not the truth. So before someone joins any cause, even as simple as it is, and if they're affected by a story, they should first audit that story before believing it and following or joining that discourse. So authenticity of the stories that make us feel like we can be part of something should be something that you should be checking before um, being involved in any of these activities because this might be a personal view but I feel if somebody is not fully involved in something that I'm fighting for there's no need of you being in my team we'd rather rest or join the opposing side so that we know where you stand. I 
I learned so much through this conversation with Rainey, and I thought it was interesting to hear his thoughts on people's motivations behind their activism. Rainey is doing his work because he's passionate about making change, and he feels a need to share stories from the world around him. However, as we discussed, activism can sometimes be performative, and that performative activism can also be motivated by receiving recognitions or awards rather than genuine interest in making change. I think Rainey's work can best be described as authentic because he is spending time in communities, listening to people's stories, sharing them in the best way he can, and shedding some light on the everyday heroes he finds. Rainey is passionate about his work and making change, which makes him a great example of how change comes when you aren't working for an award. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and you can find Rainey on Instagram at orsydney to get connected with him. If you want to talk about anything I mentioned, please reach out to me by email at lily at bethechangepodcast.org or on Instagram at bethechangepodcast. Tune in for my next episode, but until then, be the change you wish to see in the world. Bye, guys. <laughs>